Hey everyone, welcome to episode 119 of the End Focus podcast. I'm your host, Andy Corrigan. With me, as always, is Andrew Brown. Hello! And our new regular, Tori Wassana. Yeah, how's it going? Um, we've got a pack show. We're going to talk about uh, plenty of games. Behold the Kickmen, Catherine Full Body, uh, Bloodstained, Curse of the Moon 2, uh, and yeah, that's about it. I guess it's not that packed. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, there's no news, no real updates from other episodes, so let's just jump into what we've been playing. Okay, so uh, I'll uh, kick things off uh, with Behold the Kickmen. Andrew, you have no interest in, in sports ball at all. Uh, I don't know if you uh, you have at all, Tori. Uh, somewhat. Ah, okay. Uh, football? English football? Aussie rules? <laughs> Soccer? Or AFL. Yep. Okay. <laughs> Do you have an English team? No, I don't watch soccer, unfortunately. More the AFL. <laughs> okay, you're, you're a uh, Liverpool fan now. Okay. <laughs> I, I bequeath the title of Liverpool fan on you. Um, so, in, especially for Andrew, I think, uh, like most sports stuff, is just does nothing for him. Uh, this might be the, the one that comes closest to get his, in, his interest, I think. Um, so I don't usually do this, but I want to read out the, the eShop uh, description for this game. Uh, so, Behold the Kickmen is a football game made by someone who has no understanding of or interest in what is affectionately known as the wonderful game. It's actually called the beautiful game, but we'll let that slide. They have no affection or understanding. They can't even get the name right. Exactly. Uh, so, you start at the bottom of the big, boring British football spreadsheet system and grind your way up, grueling match after grueling match, to become the best at football that anyone's ever seen and win the World Cup for your mantelpiece. The features, listed as kicking, passing, tackling, squad management, and doing goals over and over. <laughs> so yeah, uh, that, that's what piqued my interest. I remember following the developer on Twitter at some point and this was at various stages in dev and I, I sort of lost track of it so it was a surprise to see it on the the eShop uh, it was five bucks so it was an easy thing to drop money on uh, so there's not really a lot to it, there's no not many modes but it does have this story mode so you, you're part of a team that's in the lowest division of uh, four divisions uh, you can set how many teams are in each division and you basically just play through the matches and try to climb to the top of the table with the aim of winning the World Cup with a club team somehow. Uh, you guys probably don't know, but obviously the World Cup is an international tournament and club leagues are, you know, local teams playing. So it, the two things don't mesh. So it's not like in the US where the World Series is just US teams and one Canadian team? Yeah, no. Oh. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So as part of the story, uh, you go through something has happened to the main character's dad. His coach, who won't tell him the truth as to how his father died, has some sort of a relationship with the character's mother. Um, you also have a rival who comes along between matches just to pick on you and to make you cry because that's a thing that they, the developers picked on that uh, footballers do a lot when they lose important matches. So yeah, so you, you play through these matches uh, to, to climb up the table. The uh, There's a bunch of skills that you can do. These are gated and you need to win a match to unlock a skill of your choice. 
Uh, it doesn't take you long before you get them. Uh, I did have an issue with this where be- before you start the story mode, it sort of asks you to do the training mode, which you do, and training gives you all of the skills from the start with all stats at their peak. Uh, but when you start the game proper, you have no skills and no stats. Um, so it's like, so what exactly are you training me for at this point? Um, and it also makes that early part of the game really chore-like because your characters can't run very well, they can't pass with any accuracy, they can't shoot at all. Uh, but you know, you get six games down the line, and everything's a bit more more fun to play with. Uh, every time you uh, score a goal or do something impressive, you get uh, money that you can spend then. Uh, on stat increases uh, these take a, a long time to sort of build up but the higher the the division you're in the more money you get the actual differences with real football um based on the developers uh, lack of interest is that here you have a round pitch called an arena with no out of bounds uh, it has distance markings on the pitch like american football uh, english football doesn't have these uh, nor do they serve any purpose here uh, offside is definitely not what the developer thinks it is Uh, you know at the end of the day the fundamentals are the same you need to do more goals than the opposition does (laughs) Uh, so a lot of the the game is just the joke about the the developer not liking football that comes across mostly in the language and the writing so you know instead of scoring a goal it's doing a goal when you when you score it flashes up you've done a goal uh when you get a red card, uh, which you only get for tackling someone when they haven't got the ball, it comes up and flags it as uh, you're being sent off for crimes against football. And uh, even in the, the interplay between the characters in between matches, there's a lot of, uh, you know, the, the developer's dislike comes uh, across in that, that dialogue. Uh, so, for example, like you, your player comes off the pitch and he's like, hey, boss, did you see all the great big kicks I did in that match? And the coach is like, yeah, I did. They were good kicks, and I also saw when you did that dancing thing with your legs and the other player didn't know how to tackle you. Uh, it's just, yeah, complete lack of the, the technical understanding. That lack of understanding does, however, translate into a fun game, especially when you've got most of the skills unlocked. Uh, so, mechanically, you have passing. Uh, that's standard, but what happens here is there's a line drawn between you and your teammate when you're facing them. Uh, tackling is handled differently to most football games. Uh, so you hold the tackle button, the game will slow down for a few seconds, uh, in which case you move this line to direct your defender's slide. Uh, if you just do that action, the ball will fly off in a random direction and you'll have to battle with another player. Uh, but if you do the timed skill press at the right time, you'll emerge from the tackle with the ball at your feet. Uh, there's a dash, the uh, the stamina for that starts off really, really... Uh, small, uh, but I'm I'm slowly unlocking faster dash and longer dash. Uh, there's a sidestep mechanic that you can do by using the shoulder buttons, which is just like a it's almost like a slide teleport, so it gets you away from players and into space. Uh, and shooting is managed with the pass button, so to shoot you hold it to do what the game calls a big kick. Uh, It charges up, and the longer you hold the button, the more unwieldy the shot will be when you let go. But you can correct that with the other feature, which is aftertouch. So aftertouch is used in other games. That's where, after you've kicked the ball, you can sort of put a spin on it to curl it. Uh, But here, the 
the aftertouch is wild. You can swing the ball back and forth in the air before it hits something. So it's 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 pretty basic to play, but it, it's fun when when you've got all the stats and it's back and forth. It's, it kind of plays like a old school top down soccer game like sensible soccer so mechanically at least it's a lot of fun while everyone usually asks our games art this one just asks can games be a joke uh and the answer is yes uh, a lot, lot of the time when you get these joke games they just you know they end up um outstaying their welcomes because there's nothing much beyond the joke but here at least you know it's it's got fun mechanics to back it up uh so it's I feel like it was built on being a fun game first with good mechanics and then the joke was built on top of that. Because it's light, there's no multiplayer, no online, just that short story in a free play mode, uh, some might sort of balk at it, but the the price made it more than uh, palatable for me. Uh, I, I recommend it if, if you're interested in football games and maybe if you're not, it's, it's a fun little aside and uh, worth the asking price, I think. So have I changed either of your minds on football? <laughs> In general, yeah. <laughs> it it sounds like, you know, it was made by people who are trying to explain soccer without really knowing much about it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it is. Um, some of the humour comes across a bit disdainful, but uh, yeah, which, you know, that, that can get a bit grating, but the, the when the humour shines, it, it, it does overshadow that stuff. So, Andrew, are you about to buy your first ever soccer game? Walk on, walk on with hope in your heart, <laughs> and you'll never walk alone. I don't know the tune to this. Well, you, you've got the, uh, the, the lyrics right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that, of course, is Liverpool's anthem that's played before every home match. Ah, uh, uh, my team. Uh, yeah, exactly. Well done. And you, you're now the official supporter of the English champions, by the way. I, I never recapped on that after my meltdown. <laughs> a few weeks back when, when it got paused with uh, COVID. Like every fake sports fan, I'm just a fan of whichever team is winning that year. <laughs> yeah, always go for the underdogs. That's the Australian way. Yeah, well, we're usually the underdogs, so this is the first season where we've just completely steamrolled everyone. <laughs> so uh, it's been nice. Conflicted feelings. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, so that's uh, Behold the Kickmen. Uh Let's move on. Andrew, you've been playing a game, a sequel to a game that I liked a lot. Uh, so Bloodstained Curse of the Moon 2. Uh, we should do a bit of a disclaimer because I've seen a lot of confusion as to what this game is on social media. So uh, Bloodstained Ritual of the Night is the core entry, which is a you know the Metroidvania exploration platformer uh, made by the old developers of Castlevania games. Part of their... Um, stretch goals from the Kickstarter for that game was an 8-bit precursor called Curse of the Moon and a sequel has happened. This was a surprise to me. I only found out about it last week. Uh, Andrew, I know you liked the the previous one a lot, so uh, how are you going? Well, first things first, Andy, is I noticed that you haven't talked about Castlevania 3 Dracula's Curse yet. What's the freaking holdup? I got halfway through Castlevania 2 and I dropped off stuff I had to cover. I haven't forgotten about it, honestly. Sure, sure. Well, anyway, <laughs> uh, I did briefly revisit Curse of the Moon on Thursday night, because uh, it's just a 8-bit retro platformer, so it's pretty easy to beat it in a couple hours, especially if you're good at them like I am. So, 
you know, maybe I shouldn't make a blanket statement like that because maybe not everybody can just beat it no sweat in one sitting. But I'm able to do that, and I enjoyed it. And Curse of the Moon is basically an indie remake of Castlevania Three: Dracula's Curse. It has a lot of the same gameplay concepts and gameplay features, but it's made with modern technology and modern design philosophies and sensibilities, so it's a lot more approachable. Uh, in Curse of the Moon, you start off playing as a character named Zangetsu, who is your standard platformer protagonist. He's got a sword, he jumps, he's got a decent amount of health. But as you beat each boss in each stage, he recruits additional characters, including Miriam, who has a whip with a much longer reach and is able to jump much higher and can also do a dashing slide attack that also lets her get through small gaps. Uh, Alfred, who has a number of magic spells at his disposal, and Jebel, who has a bat attack that attacks at an angle going up and is able to turn into a bat so he can fly over large gaps and fly up to inaccessible areas. Uh, that's echoing pretty strongly characters that are in Dracula's Curse, but all four characters are available at once. Just flip through them by pressing left or right uh, on your shoulder buttons. There are multiple paths through each level in the game, and which paths you take is largely up to you. Uh, there's a direct path that you're sort of directed along by following this little pointing skeleton character who appears and is pretty amusing because they're described as former adventurers who died, but they seem to be having a pretty good time uh, pointing <laughs> you through the levels. Um, but if one of your characters is not currently available because they've ran out of health or they've died by falling off a cliff, uh, you maybe can't get across that large gap with Jeebel, or you may not be able to dash through that small opening with Miriam, so you have to take a longer route or a different route. So the path you have to take is going to change depending upon the party that's available to you, or maybe if you just didn't recruit the characters on that playthrough, because that's the other gimmick of the game is there are multiple scenarios and multiple playthroughs that change subtly depending upon the choices trademark that you made along the way. I really enjoyed Curse of the Moon. I gave it a high recommend when I played it early last year. Maybe it was two years ago. No, I played this. but uh, And then Andy played it sometime later, and he enjoyed it as well. I, I played it while my wife was under getting her wisdom teeth out. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> it was a good time while she wasn't having a good yeah. time. There's just the one obnoxious flaw about this game that I, I really didn't like. I complained about it back then, and I... I found my feelings unchanged with my revisit Thursday night was how character death works because you have your normal number of stockpiled lives but you only actually lose one of those stockpiled lives when all four of your characters die uh, so if Miriam runs out of life or falls off a cliff then she air quotes dies and you just can't use her with the rest of your characters even though it goes through the whole death sequence it knocks you back to the last checkpoint uh, it's just kind of obnoxious because there are certain unlocks that you can't get, like there are health upgrades and magic point upgrades that let you use more of your special skills that are only accessible with certain characters. So 
basically I found I was getting to a certain point in a level and then just throwing all my characters off a cliff. That way I could try again with the, the character I needed alive so I could get up there. Or the same thing went for the bosses. The bosses are built so they can be beat with any combination of characters, but it is apparent that their mechanics are designed mostly to be played with one specific character and playing with the other characters is like a challenge that you do after you've already beaten the game and you're you're going back through for the other endings uh so i found often on the bosses i was again having to kill all my characters when the one character i actually needed to fight the boss uh, was not available to me including on the final boss which was incredibly aggravating because all four of your characters are basically required on the final boss so every time one of them dies and you game over i had to spend five minutes well not that long i had to spend a minute throwing the rest of my characters off cliffs and then smashing all the, the torches around to get all their power-ups back i just found that really annoying and i didn't think it was necessary just thought if one of your characters <laughs> dies just give it a game over and just let me restart with all my four characters but anyway that's not how the game works i uh, hope they would fix that in the sequel so now into the sequel, which is basically the same game, but bigger, um, has more. Uh, I shouldn't say it's bigger. It's actually about the same length, but there's a lot more to it. Uh, there's new characters. Uh, you start off with Zangetsu, uh, the original character from the first game. He, he's your starter character here, too. But the characters you recruit along the way are different. Uh, you get Dominique, who is a spear user, and she can jump a little bit higher like Mirior. Miriam can, but she also has pogo jumping, ducktail style, with her spear. Mm -hmm. And she also has access to healing magic, but don't get too excited because it's actually not uh, very useful in combat. So, <laughs> yeah, there's healing magic now, and yeah, I did spend a lot of my magic points just pumping my character's health back up rather than using their skills, but I still found the first game much easier. I'll talk about that in a little bit, though. Uh, the second character is Robert, who has a gun that fires from all the way across the screen, but he's got no health. He can take, like, two hits, then he's dead. Uh, and he can crawl. So he's he's the character who gets you through the small gaps in this game. And there's Hachi, who is, I'm not kidding, a corgi in a mecha. Uh, <laughs> he's huge. He can't attack enemies that are low to the ground, uh, but he's got the most health. Uh, he can do a ground pound to smash through weak sections of the floor uh he can crush floor spikes entirely so other characters can then walk across them and he can also activate temporary damage immunity that's his special skill and uh, i used him a lot on the bosses uh, mm -hmm. and when you're in the additional game modes after you've beaten the game miriam alfred and jeeble also return uh and unlockable game modes and zengetsu actually he kind of got the shaft in the first game once you had the other characters Zengetsu there just really wasn't a reason to use him unless you were doing uh, a solo run with him which was kind of like the ultimate challenge of the original game uh, in this game midway through he finds a new sword called the soul eraser that lets him attack much faster he then becomes your best damage dealer so I did find myself actually using Zengetsu quite a bit in this game which I, I thought was a nice improvement over the original and there are a number of other quality of life improvements over the original as well there are clearer checkpoints it wasn't always clear where your checkpoints actually were in the first game in this one there are candles you walk by that light themselves it's very clear what a checkpoint is now 
there are more mm-hmm. lamp icons. Uh, some of the lamps in the first game would drop healing items, but those lamps would look exactly like the lamps that dropped uh, money or points, which is how you get extra lives, and your magic points so you could use your special abilities. Now in this game, lamps with healing items have their own special icon, which is nice. Uh, and speaking of scores, there's no more antiquated score counter in this game. Now there's just a meter that you build up by collecting certain items. You fill the meter, you get an extra life. It's the same thing as score, it's just a lot easier to read. Because score is basically meaningless. Uh, in the first game, there was a confusing thing in the pause menu called Curse of the Moon that was never explained. What it does was it lets you go back to previous stages if you wanted to try a different path or get an upgrade you missed. Curse of the Moon is gone in in Curse of the Moon 2. Uh, it just has a thing in the pause menu called Stage Select, which is the exact same thing, but makes sense. Uh, but they haven't changed that one obnoxious flaw that I complained about. It's still the exact same death system, so I still found myself in situations where I wanted a certain character to get an upgrade or to fight a boss, so I was just suiciding with all my characters so I could get that one character back. It's a bad system. I don't know why it is the way it is, (laughs) but I guess in the design process, they decided they liked it. This is what they wanted. So it sucks for me. But now we get to my criticisms of this game and i i cannot overstate how much harder this game is than the first one it took me almost twice as long to beat uh i read i I just read this mind you that koji igarashi who was the director of ritual of the moon he had a lot more oversight on this game so this might be his influence on it now uh but that's just that's just my guess. With the exception of the final boss, I did actually get all the bosses done on my first or second attempt. The bosses are really well designed, and if you just try to burn them down, you know, just get in their face and just spam the attack button, they'll kill you pretty quick. But if you stop and actually look at how they're attacking and make an effort to dodge their attacks, they're not that difficult to take down, up to including the final boss. But I, I think they're really well designed, they're fun to fight. I did enjoy the bosses, I thought they were the highlight of the game. The problem is the levels have gotten so much harder. The levels, I thought they were fine in the original game, they put up a decent challenge, like they kept me engaged, I wasn't just playing them on autopilot with my brain turned off, but they have gone way harder on the difficulty. There's a lot of really elaborate platforming sequences where I had to learn the exact timing, on how like platforms move across lava and jump off cliffs and I had to time my jumps at exactly the right time and the jumping didn't the timing on those jumps did not feel intuitive to me at all and there's an ice level with ice physics yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and the ice physics were even worse like uh Hachi thankfully and his giant tank is seemed to be mostly immune to the ice effects, but I was trying to use Dominique at one point. I jumped onto the ice platform, she slid right off the other side, back onto the spikes. I jumped off to the spikes, back onto the ice platform, she slid off the other side, back onto the spikes on the other side. (laughs) I went back and forth like four or five times before she finally ran out of health and died. It's like, oh man, ice levels. This is one of the bad ones. One of the big reasons I think that this game seems so much harder is the alternate 
paths, like the crossroads, they they didn't feel like alternate routes. Now they they felt like shortcuts that I was punished for missing. Because a lot of the longer routes that I went down are very, very hard, and I usually only got one chance to reach a shortcut. Usually through Dominique's pogo jumping, which I I really struggled uh, to use the pogo jumping effectively in some places there are some areas where i'm pretty sure i was supposed to use pogo jumping to reach a shortcut i just i could not connect i don't know what i was doing wrong and at least half the time i didn't even realize there was a shortcut i could reach until i had already either destroyed the candles i was supposed to bounce off of or the enemy i was supposed to bounce off of because the shortcut just literally hadn't appeared on the screen yet until after i'd already destroyed all the stuff and leaving the screen and re-entering it does not regenerate those things. So I, mm. I, I felt kind of like I got ripped off just because I didn't know things that the game thought I should know. Um, I found that aspect of the game pretty frustrating. So, long story short, uh, I think the bosses are excellent, uh, but the brutally difficult platforming and some of the more annoying aspects introduced to the platforming and the levels I thought did drag the down did drag the game down a little bit it's a light recommend on this one I still enjoyed it I didn't dislike it but I definitely preferred the first one yeah okay uh, that's good to know if I ever fancy picking this one up uh, Tori have you played either any of these games no not at all unfortunately <laughs> yeah I, my whole thing with the Bloodstain series has been uh, tainted by the technical issues that I had with Ritual of the Night. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know how I feel. I'm, I am tempted to go back and try Ritual of the Night again, and that might lead me down this path, but well, I don't know how broken it is still, so I'll see how I go. Okay, so uh, moving on to the last game. So that would be Catherine, Full Body, uh, Tori, you've been playing this? Yeah, I've been playing it on and off for the last week or so. Cool. Uh, I started today, so I'm I'm like two chapters in, just finished the second chapter. Yeah, you were saying you were like fifth chapter now? I think I started the sixth chapter. I'm not sure when okay. they start. <laughs> okay, cool. Uh, so, uh, Catherine for Body is a, a re-release of a, a last generation game. Uh, this one has... Uh, extra content which I'll get on to shortly uh, so it's set up a bit like one of those late night art house movies uh, as part of this fictional show called The Golden Playhouse and it's introduced by a lady with large hair who's uh, who covers what the story is about, kind of like in the old way that um, was it Elvira used to do in, for the old like Hammer Horror movies and stuff and uh, and that introduces the story where you play as a character called Vincent Brooks, who is uh, caught in some something of a love triangle. So he's got uh, a girlfriend who's Catherine with a K. She's kind of serious and safe, and she wants marriage, and he's uncomfortable with that. Uh, then he accidentally starts a relationship with uh, Catherine with a C, who's just like the polar opposite. She's a sexy temptress. Uh, but Full Body also introduces another Catherine, which is Catherine with a Q, <laughs> uh, which they shorten to Rin uh, to make it a love quartet. Uh, and it plays out as a sort of a half social sim stroke uh, slash visual novel. 
uh, and part puzzle game. Uh, so Vincent is really struggling with everything that's happening, and his guilt and torment play out in uh, a series of nightmares where he grows sheep horns. He's in his boxes, so he's really feeling really vulnerable. He's carrying a pillow for some reason, and he must reach a, the top of a tower or he'll die in real life. Uh, there are other people going through the same experience. They're, they're all sheep. And the twist here... Well, it's not a twist because it, it tells you straight away, but the the thing with this is that all the sheep believe that everyone else is a sheep except for them. So he's not the only one being drawn into this other world. Uh, and in real life, others have been dying in their sleep from unknown causes, and this whole other world is it. So it's uh, from the developers of Persona. Apparently it was they started developing it just after Persona 4 release, so it had like a, a long development cycle. Uh, and that Persona thing really comes across uh, throughout, especially with its other world, how characters deal with the things that they're going through. Um, I'm not sure how they're going to manage Vincent yet, because they, they call him a tortured protagonist, but you know he's he's not the innocent party in this, uh, and these developers are really usually good with sort of those moral uh, grey areas. So yeah, uh, have I covered the story well enough, Tori? Do you think you've got anything to add? Um, I mean, yeah, that's that's a good plot outline without really spoiling anything major. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, I it's got the setup. You're further along than me. Do you, does it live up to the usual? Uh, Atlas storytelling standard. Yes, um, but I found that some of the dialogue is a lot more questionable than Persona. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking briefly before the show. You mentioned there was uh, some of the stuff where that it was like positive towards same-sex couples, but then uh, a character reacted in a way that wasn't the best. Yeah, I won't say exactly, just go in with the mindset that this is that sort of, there's a problem with uh, Japanese culture and homosexual um, couples, and that comes through in one particular moment in this, and uh, so if you're sensitive to that sort of thing, definitely give this a miss, it's, it's a good story in terms of how it tells the story, but yeah, the the, the dialogue can be not great. Yeah, like per- Persona has a, a hit and miss uh, history with this sort of stuff. So like uh, the homosexuality stuff, I thought they did really well in Persona 4 uh, with Kenji. I thought that was really done in a, a, a grown-up way. Um, yeah, I'm not sure if it's the same director or, or what. Yeah. Uh, Persona 5 had a, a bit that they promised to fix and then didn't really make it any better. They just made it different. Yeah, um, it was still questionable, so but I, I found that some of the dialogue in Catherine is just outright showing your yeah. full colours sort of dialogue. Yeah. You've got to sort of... Um, I, I always try and do the, you know, think the best of people and, and go in with that mindset of just because a character is a certain way doesn't mean that the writer is that way, it just means the character is that way yeah. the, the analogue I'd draw to that is uh, Robert Kirkman's The Walking Dead, you know, there's all kinds of characters in there, one of the early ones is a racist, that doesn't make Robert Kirkman a racist and 
you know, it's it's the way they explore it, which is important. Um, and Atlas tend to have a, a a very hit and miss history with justifying it. I think so. Yeah, they don't even try to justify it in this. It's just they they say it and then the story moves on. There's no commentary mm-hmm. on it, so mm-hmm. they can do better. Yeah. Um. So I haven't got to that point yet, so I, I can't really cast any judgment. So I'll just. Uh, go along with you on that i i had yeah i had heard there was a lot of uh questionable bits which is what part of my reluctance to get it because i could never tell whether people thought it was a good game or not um so the the gameplay turns is like part sim uh where you know this is where persona fans will feel most at home because you you've got the visual novel aspects where uh, vincent will hang out with his friends and and the catherines and all that uh, and you'll have to react at certain points and choose answers. You'll get text messages where you'll you'll form a text message from like three or four multiple choice responses, um, and all these things will change the story and give you a different ending. Apparently, there are twelve endings. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning with those virtual novel parts is that it is kind of trying to nudge you in a certain direction, but it doesn't tell you what that direction is with the uh, dialogue options and the way that you form texts. Mm-hmm. It's all kind of like a passive way of changing Vincent's point of view on relationships. Yeah. And uh, when you make a decision on this, you've, there's like a meter, which is like a, you know, devil and angel meter. And it sort of wavers back and forth depending on, on your choices. Mine is just like bang in the middle and has been for the first two chapters. <laughs> <laughs> um, so for the gameplay, though, the uh, so the puzzling... Uh, that plays out as uh, Vincent, he has to climb towers uh, before they fall away underneath him, which is where the uh, the stress element comes in. Uh, you can move blocks around, you can push, pull them back and forth, uh, and, you know, make yourself a path up, so you can make pyramids, steps. Uh, the It gets pretty complicated pretty quickly, I found. Um... You can hang off blocks, then there are unique blocks where some can't be moved, some most support you against the rules of physics, some will fall back into place. There are some that break after you pass over them uh, more than twice. There are heavy blocks. Uh, Now, moving the blocks themselves I found pretty finicky with the analog stick. I've had to move to the the D-pad. How are you finding that? Yeah, same. Especially when you're trying to hang off the edge purposely. Mm. Yeah, and you just kind of like swing around it instead of jumping back up or something like that. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing I had is when you accidentally go on the other side of the block and the camera swings around. Yeah. And then I'm trying to fight. You can that turn that off. Oh, you can. You can. There's a back camera option in the settings I found. Ah. Okay. Yeah, I must have missed that. I usually go through the config beforehand just to change the the camera to invert. Invert. Yeah. Yes. Um. Yeah, so along the way you can collect money, items, so you can actually undo a number of moves by default. Um, If you collect pillows, that will increase the number of undos you can do at any one time. Um, There are items that have different properties, so the the only one I've had so far is uh, a white block that creates a 3x3 square around you to give you a bit more maneuverability on your path. 
uh, you've probably encountered a few others. Yeah, there's an energy drink that lets you jump up two blocks and oh. a Bible that gets rid of some of the uh, sheep that can block your path, which is another uh, thing. I don't know if you're up yeah, to that yet. Yeah, I've got I've got the notes for that. Okay. Um, I've, I, actually, I did have a bell that turns uh, all the blocks into white blocks. Oh yeah, that's I right. Think, I think that was the I think that was the first one. Uh, so yeah, as you said, you'll encounter the other sheep climbing the way. They sort of block your path, uh, but if you can get up to them, you can actually push them off the tower, uh, probably killing them in real life. <laughs> I, th- I feel like that was the implication. Um, but one did tell me off for pushing him. So. Uh, uh, after you get past the first chapter, the the levels are split into segments and there's like a, a rest point in between where you can save and the, there are other sheep to chat to. Some of these will give you like tips for how to get up, so they'll give you techniques for building blocks uh, to get up. Uh, others will just give you bits of story and nuggets of information about what's going on. Uh, and then the last segment is uh, kind of a boss fight. I, I don't know if that's consistent on every level. Uh, so far, that has been. Yeah. Cool. So the, the, my first boss fight was uh, a monstrous manifestation of Catherine. You only see the arms, but she's like yelling at you the whole time while you're trying to climb up to get away from her, and she's she's just trying to stop you. Uh, uh, she has this ability to change the blocks into heavy blocks. So I, I imagine there's a twist with, with each boss. Um, I... I've encountered a few bosses, but I haven't really had any trouble with them. Like, okay. um, so I don't know what their gimmicks are because they haven't used them. <laughs> uh, it sounds like I'm bragging. <laughs> you are a bit. Yeah. Uh, but, but that helps because you helped me segue into the next point. <laughs> uh, so much like a lot of other Atlas games, there is like light online elements where, um, it's not multiplayer, but you can see how other players are faring. Um, so along the way, you'll see like glowing orbs, which indicate where. I think this is where other people have fell. I think so. Or failed. Um, and then uh, there's also another part. So when you, when you stop off on those rest floors, there is a confession booth that will take you to the next floor. But before it will do so, you have to answer a question about relationships. Uh, so the first couple I had was uh, what's more important to you in a relationship looks or personality so you pick one um, and then it shows uh, as you beat a level it shows you what the uh, the community did the first time they played the game which I thought was a cool cool little mechanic some surprising results in there yeah um, uh, there was one question that was when there's a baby nearby you do you, how do you react and one of them was I get annoyed and the other one was I'm impressed by its energy and like annoyed. yeah <laughs> that's what I picked and it was like 25% what like, come on you can like kids but liars screaming babies yeah yeah like the, the first one which was about personality or looks that went the way you, th- <laughs> you would think people picked personality <laughs> yeah the, the, the second one was 50-50 and while I can't remember what the question was it was like oh come on yeah, who people. are you trying to impress? <laughs> <laughs> um, there is one thing that's really annoying me about this game. Oh? When you get to the near the top of a tower, a bell starts ringing. Mm. 
and the noise is doing my head in because uh, it carries over on the interval levels too and it's just like uh, yeah repeating noise it's just uh, um otherwise audibly the soundtrack's really good so far it's typical atlas standard mixture of like funky jazz infused hip-hop and there's some uh, j-pop in there uh you enjoying that oh for sure like i don't know if it's the same composer as persona uh meguro but yeah it's great yeah i've got the sense it is um so yeah uh so this uh, full body version does come with a uh, a couple of settings that are new so there's a uh, classic mode which is playing the game as it was uh, and there's uh remix a classic is you only get single blocks that you have to move about remix gives you blocks of multiple blocks so they could be in t-shapes or other shapes uh, a bit tetrisy i was thinking um, like push mode. yeah that too uh which mode are you playing uh normal i think remix will be a second playthrough yeah, I, I'm playing classic because I haven't played the original before. Mm. Uh, it's been on my to-do list for ages. Um, but yeah, the the puzzling stuff is like really fun. It's like really intense, really fast-paced. Uh, it's hard, but I don't think it's too punishing thanks to the the undos. Yeah, there, there's a nice balance there. Interestingly, the default difficulty option was easy, not normal. Which I, I felt was telling. I, th- I, f- I feel like they're trying to push people into going through the easier mode first. Um, I went with normal, but I think you can change it at any time anyway. You can, yeah. Not that I have yeah. yet. I've, I've stuck on easy just so I don't get too frustrated with it and stick with it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, well, there's your bra- where's your bragging now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, so jury's still out on the story. Um I, you know, just from my history with Atlas Games, I I love their storytelling, uh, even if they have uh, problematic characters here and there. Um, a lot of the time, I do believe that the the problematic characters are that maybe not making a commentary, but acknowledging that idiots exist in all walks of life. You know, you, you're never going to get a a realistic game where everyone's just nice to each other. Um, mm. Animal Crossing is a lie. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, actually, they, they, they argue and bicker on there as well, and, and one of them was passive-aggressive about my uh, rock banging, so he can get stuffed. <laughs> um, so, so not even in Animal Crossing, that's my point. Uh, but yeah, hope, I'm hoping the the things that you mentioned, you know, have a point or are com- you know, contextualised and not just put out there and left, because I, I think there are a lot of cases where they do stuff really well. Um, we'll see. Like the the people making those sorts of comments are not portrayed as great people. So mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so yeah. So there's that. Yeah, I like it so far. Uh, I'll keep plugging away at it. I don't think it's that long a game. I've I've heard between eleven and twelve hours. Just wait until you get to the ice level. Is there an ice level? Yeah, actually. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> How is there an ice level in a block climbing game? That, uh... well, the blocks are ice, and you slide across them. Oh, no. Yep, so... <laughs> okay, that's a block sliding puzzle, which is different. I actually like those. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so do you have any interest in this one, Andrew? Not really, no. <laughs> Is it the anime aesthetic? No, actually, uh, back when this first launched, I was actually interested in this, but that was like 2011. <laughs> it came out alongside mm. Mortal Kombat 9, I remember that. Uh, but everything I've heard cool. about it in the meantime, I'm just like, eh, I'll pass, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's definitely not a kid's game. Oh, Let's God, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's worth mentioning that if it, this comes with all of the DLC that normally would be separate on the PS4 version. Oh, okay. So you can play as Joker from Persona 5, because he's in everything, oh. apparently, um, in, like, the sort of free play mode. Oh, okay. I didn't know that. Yeah, there, there are some other modes. There's a, there's a free play mode and there's an online mode as well, which I probably won't jump into at all. But, nah. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, good, but with caveats, I think is a good way yeah set your expectations for the story but the gameplay is fun uh what are we playing in this coming week as if we didn't know yeah the answer of course paper mario i think that's three ticks for paper mario i'm gonna play it but i'm concerned it's not going to be delivered in time for me to talk about it in conjunction with the Mm -hmm. two of you uh so i think this is going to be one work well, no, I don't think. I know this is when we're going to have to spread over at least two episodes because we're going to barely have mm-hmm. time to play it before before yeah, the next recording. A yeah, a day, if that. Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're only going to get like a day and yeah. a half. And if I've not finished Catherine, I'm not going to be too happy about starting it. <laughs> yeah. So uh-huh. our next recording is going to be very preliminary. And then after that, we'll be able to talk about it in more detail. Um, and yeah. I, I'm concerned because I'm getting it physically because I'm that way. Uh, that I'm not going to get it before launch at all. Uh, so I'm going to play something else in the meantime. Uh, well, you get the origami at least? What? It's like one of the pre-order bonuses, I think. Oh, I... You get origami sheets. I will probably leave that in the case with all the other pre-order <laughs> bonuses I've ever gotten. <laughs> <laughs> I can't use them. I might need them later. Uh, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the bus. Uh, I've, I get all these pre-order bonuses and I cherish them, but I never open them. So I've still got an unopened Mario Maker stylus, uh, an unused Mario Maker notepad with graph paper. I could never <laughs> use that. I could never use it. I just couldn't. I would be might be worth something someday. It would be ruining the pre-order bonus if I ripped out the paper or wrote on it. I mean, <laughs> yeah. And uh, I've got a, a sheep keyring with Catherine. Oh, nice. Yeah, that was a surprise. I didn't even pre-order that. I just picked it up on the day. And probably left over. Yep, I, I'm holding it now. You can't see it. Uh, Podcast people. We got ASMR. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, so that's it. Paper Mario. We'll uh, we'll all touch on that and uh, whatever we can fit in between. Maybe it'll even be a shorter episode. Who knows. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of InFocus Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes because that really helps us to get noticed. You can also listen and subscribe on Stitcher, Spotify, and other podcast services. Make sure to check out our sister shows, PlayState and Power of 
X. I should not have to explain what those covers, but I will anyway. PlayStation is for PlayStation, <laughs> and Power of X is for Xbox, which are consoles that exist, apparently. Uh, be sure to join our Discord server to interact with the lively GamePodular community. GamePodular is the umbrella that covers all three of our podcast community. And you can follow us on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, and at GamePodular.com for updates, news, and other content. And check out links in the show notes. If you'd like to support our shows, you can buy us a coffee or become a GamePodular Patreon. And the details for both are on our website. Thanks in advance. This episode was edited by Andy. Lucky you. Have fun. Mm -hmm. And if you want to follow us individually, Andy is at Flame Roast Toast. I am at Play Critically. And Tori is at Stew2. That's S-T-W-T-W-O.